as it's a regular occupation, especially one for which a person is particularly suited or qualified. Uh, it also says a vocation is an inclination or aptness for a certain kind of work. But here, I think, is the one that we want to really focus on, a calling of an individual by God, especially for a religious career. But I want to expand that beyond that because our understanding here at TCF is that everything we do, we do is unto the Lord. There's no hierarchy of service in the kingdom of God. If you are a minister of the gospel, if you are a missionary, if you are a pastor or an elder, that is no more important in the economy of God's kingdom than somebody who does anything else, including digging ditches. And so that's something that I learned here at TCF, and it's a very important thing to remember as we feature vocations. So any work that we do is a vocation because our work matters to God, not just religious work, because all believers are supposed to do everything as unto God. So we need to remember that as we uh, walk through this this morning and as we hear specifically from healthcare workers. Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 24 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So that goes for all of us, not just for the three nurses that we're going to hear from this morning. That goes for all of us, whatever we do. Randy's an aircraft mechanic, and he can do his work as unto the Lord, and he should. Andy works for uh, a construction company and does bids for construction projects. That work can be done under the Lord. So it doesn't matter what we do, and we need to always be mindful of that. So this morning we focused specifically on healthcare workers, and we thought it was really timely. We're hearing about healthcare workers all the time now, aren't we? I mean, every day on the news you're reading or seeing something because healthcare workers are on the front lines of the pandemic and everything else that's related to that. So we thought it would be particularly appropriate for this. Now, I want to say personally, nurses, I think, are heroes. Nurses are heroes. I have, I have two nurses in my immediate family, Laura, my daughter, and her husband, Sam. Sam works at St. John, is working with COVID patients all the time. But I think of this uh, idea of nurses as heroes not just because my daughter and my son-in-law are nurses, but I think of this because of my vast experience in and out of hospitals uh, as an elder visiting people, but also for family members and the times I've been with people in the hospital and seen what nurses do. I want to tell just a couple quick stories here. Uh, most of you remember Nettie Hudson. Well, when Nettie got near the end of her life, she was in the hospital, as most people are. Most people end up dying in hospitals, a high percentage. And uh, when it was getting clear that Nettie was in her final days, at least, if not hours, I was determined that Nettie would not die alone. I just don't think that that would have been something that I could sit with and live with if Nettie had died alone. Her son, or her grandson and his family were in Nashville. They weren't able to be here when this was all transpiring. So, so I rallied the troops, and I called Debbie and said, Debbie, let's get people so we can have around the clock somebody to be there with her. And we did. We had a lot of people. And it, it just so happened that the nurse that was uh, with her uh, the night she died uh, said to me, 
that it's going to happen soon. So I determined at that point I was going to stay, uh, even though we, I think Karen Chupak was there and Al Baker was there. Uh, and, uh, and then sure enough, the nurse knew. Nurses know. Nurses seem to know more than doctors when it comes to that kind of thing because I think that they've witnessed the process of dying and they understand a little bit more about what that looks like. Not that doctors don't know that, but nurses are on the front lines again. And so I stayed, and sure enough, Nettie passed away shortly thereafter. But the thing that sticks with me about this nurse is I told her that we had rallied the troops at our church to get people to come and make sure somebody was with Nettie when she passed into eternity. And that nurse said, I never let a patient die alone. I know when it's coming. I never let a patient die alone. I was so incredibly impressed with that. And then I think of when Debbie Manchester had her bike accident. I don't know how many years ago that was. And she was in the hospital, and I went up to the ER, and I was there uh, praying with her, and James was there, and Lynn comes in. And uh, the funny thing about that was Lynn kind of, you know, she just kind of took charge, even though the nurse was there. And it was funny that she did that because about every other nurse that came in knew her because they had taken classes with her. Oh, Dr. Clutter, it's good to see you. What are you doing here? And I thought, what a great asset that is, you know, to have uh, somebody like Lynn. Lynn actually taught my son-in-law nursing school at TU as well. So I have tremendous respect and love and appreciation for our nurses, and I do believe that they are heroes. So this morning, we're going to honor and celebrate these healthcare heroes among us. We're going to first hear in this order, we're going to hear from Margot, and then we're going to hear from Lynn, and then we're going to hear from Chris Staub. And each of them are going to share some things that I think will bless us and encourage us and, and glorify the Lord. So, and I'm not going to introduce you again, so, uh, but, but please tell them what your nursing experience is and what you're doing now as well, so people who don't know that will know. So Margot, why don't you come first? And we're going to pray for Margot as well as the other women. Margot comes in uniform. Isn't that great? All right. I love a visual image. Heavenly Father, thank you for Margot. Thank you for Lynn. Thank you for Chris. Lord, we ask that you would guide the things that they share with us, that our hearts would be attentive, and that your Holy Spirit would glorify the King of Kings in the things that they speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I even talk? <laughs> so I have show and tell today. <laughs> so now I can go. <laughs> um, when, I, when Brother Bill first asked me to do this, I, um, <clears throat> I told him, I'll just complain. And, <laughs> and he said, no, you'll tell about the glory of God. And I thought, well... Maybe I should do this because I need to find the glory of God in what I do. <laughs> I hate to say that. but So I've, um, I've come up with a scenario of my typical day at work and how I think the glory of God comes through that. <clears throat> I did want to say a few words about the bigger picture, though. I mean, it's very hard. Um, I don't think the glory of God can be truly manifest in a health care system that is secular. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. You know, our healing, <laughs> we're trying to heal, but we're ignoring the real healer, the real life. That, so anyway, that being said, 
I'll go on with my little synopsis of my day at work. When I come on to work, I'll have six patients. I should have five. Really, ideally, in my opinion, I should have four, but I have six. Of those six, three will at least be respiratory failure. And of those three, one will be unstable. So it's kind of like eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch this unstable, catch the decline by the toe. So I'll need to be watching. My fourth patient has just come up from the ER. Give me a minute here. And actually, this is kind of unkind to say, but when ER brings my fourth patient, they dump them and run. And they can do that. They have, um, they're allowed to do that. They, they're stressed out of the wazoo. So I do not know, I know only the name of this patient. I know, I don't know the doctor. I don't know anything about the patient. I just know, and I can see, he's in active alcoholic withdrawal. <laughs> And his heart rate's over 180. He's shaking like a leaf. He's pooping and peeing everywhere and won't let us clean him up. He's, um, obviously, he's in trouble. So the majority of my time is going to be in that room. And I will have to monitor him, and I'll scarcely be able to see the alcoholic, uh, not the alcoholic, the respiratory failures. My fifth patient, thank God, my fifth patient is just hanging out. <clears throat> Let me take a breath here. <laughs> and she's just waiting for her open heart failure, I mean, her open heart surgery, which would be the next day or the day after. Did I say it was a, a congestive heart failure nurse? Okay. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> That's what I am. <clears throat> All right. So patient number six has very active family members. And one of them is standing in front of my computer right now, and they are saying, Myrtle is thirsty, and Myrtle wants something to drink. Well, that's what we do in congestive heart failure. Myrtle has been here before. I have even been her nurse before. But um, Myrtle's on a fluid restriction. She knows that. In fact, Myrtle, that family member may not know this, but Myrtle's been drinking out of the sink. <laughs> so... <laughs> So anyway, let's give Myrtle that cup of water. I'm going to have to go in much later and explain in great detail and try to get Myrtle to comply because if she complies, then her chest x-rays will look better and she can get to go home sooner. Oh, thank you. I'll get my cup of water. <laughs> okay. So all of these patients have 20 meds, except the one guy I really need. I'm just running. I am running. You know, where is the glory of God in all of this? You know, it's hard to find. But, okay, here's where it comes. I get a sitter for my alcoholic friend over there. I can't believe it. This is a miracle. Not only that, he's competent. He can, handle, he can handle the ongoing aggression and the hostility that that man has. And then I find out who the doctor is for that patient, and I do get the orders that I really need to handle his withdrawal. Not just the ordinary, no, not just the ordinary protocol, but the real thing that I need. So now I can go into my respiratory failure room, and lo and behold, 
One of them is a believer. And we have a sweet time of prayer. And <clears throat> the Holy Spirit falls. And any time I go in that room thereafter, they are smiling ear to ear. So that helps. Then I go into the med room. And the machine that dispenses the meds is circling. And circling. For minutes! <laughs> I don't have minutes. And then I realize this is God. And God is telling me to stop. And he's telling me to thank him. And he's telling me that what he's done on the cross so supersedes anything I'm going through on that day on poor heart. And I just worship him. And then I get my med and I go. But I'm a tad stronger. And I'm a tad a little more able to be that tree that is planted by the streams of water. But I can use your prayers because <laughs> I want to be that tree. I really do, and I'm not. Um, and then my three techs, um, they're all young. They have family. They want to go home. They've worked really, really hard. Their elbows, they're up to their elbows in what we call code brown. Yeah. And, and they have agreed, they have agreed that they will stay the extra time that is needed to um, take an extra set of vitals because night shift is so darn short. And then they tell me, they do this all the time, which is really, that's God. That is so God. And lastly, but not leastly, I have people praying for me. And I have Brooke at home. You may know Brooke. I don't know that she's home, but <laughs> anyway, anyway, she she prays. And then some of you in the congregation, I have a um, <clears throat> a specific code. It's called DFH. Please pray. And it means day from hell. Please pray. <laughs> and to be honest with you, tomorrow may well be a DFH. If anyone thinks of it, please pray for me tomorrow. But thank you so much for being my congregation and my family and for praying. Thank you. That's from the trenches. <laughs> I wanted to be a nurse since I was four, and I became a Christian at 16. And after I became a Christian, I wasn't sure that that's what the Lord wanted for me. And so then before coming to ORU, uh, my family took a trip, and we went to ORU and to the admissions office. And as we were talking, my mom said, now, what about your nursing program? And being the two-year-old Christian that I was, I dropped my head, I rolled my eyes. I thought, Mother, would you give up on the nursing? And at that point... Uh, my parents, who were not believers, were interested in me getting a degree 
and a marketable skill. They didn't care where I went. Christian University was fine as long as I got those two things. Well, the Lord spoke to me. (laughs) You know, the guy explained that I would be in the second graduating class of the BSN program at ORU. And so... The Lord spoke to me and said, Lynn, this is how I could get you at a Christian program and a good nursing program. And I knew in my heart that this was God's will for my life, you know. But that was very significant and important. Well, I'm going to share several things, and I also have visual aids and... um, In my master's program that I also went to ORU, I wrote this song, and so I'm going to sing that.
Thank you. That pretty much has been the vision of my 44 years of nursing. And I've done a whole lot of different nursing roles in my time. But I wanted to share a couple. One is the author of this textbook, Dr. Donna Wong, became my mentor and was really like a sister to me. But she wrote the international best-selling pediatric nursing textbooks. And I was privileged and blessed to be able to work with her on this and do some different things. And also, as a privilege, um, we, we were able to have family pictures in here. <laughs> and so aside from consulting on these things, um, you know, it was a blessing. She was here in Tulsa, but spoke worldwide. Well, one of these textbooks, I was able to do the headings for each of the um, uh, chapters. And so I was able to put pictures or, you know, interview like a, a child with cardiac issues and have uh, drawings and quotes from uh, different ones. And so uh, that was a real blessing of a project. And as part of it, Daniel and Joshua were able to draw pictures and put quotes, and then we had pictures of Anna and her experience in the NICU. So this was a total blessing. And equally, when I went on a mission trip to Albania and Kosovo, um, within his image, the dean of the nursing program had heard of me or seen me. And that opened many doors, but it was because they used this very textbook. So that was a real blessing. Well, another thing Donna Wong did was develop the Wong Baker Faces pain rating scale. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but the uh, series of six faces smiley to frowny in tears that you see in the hospitals. And I was blessed and fortunate to be able to do some of the early research with that and work on that. And so we did all sorts of things from changing the numbers to changing the wording. And I have some of the original um, name pins. These were originally put on 
cardboard paper and Donna would hand them out when she spoke at her different conferences. And I had the idea to put them on a nurse's like a name badge. And so made these. And then the medication, the pain medication companies would underwrite the cost of these. And Donna would go, you know, for decades and speak and give these away. And I'd love to give you some of these if if any of you would like. But before Donna passed away, she said over a million of those had been distributed. So to God be the glory. And through the time I knew Donna, um, she accepted the Lord and became a Christian. So that was a real blessing. The third thing I would like to share is when I was teaching at Langston University. I taught there for seven years. And I had, in, at Langston, they had um, it where the teachers taught the lecture, did the simulated labs, and did the clinicals. And so I did OB, and I had students like... Uh, seven or eight students all over the OB areas, labor and delivery, postpartum, newborn nursery, NICU. And this, and so it was really great, you know, to, I really got to know the students well. Well, this one particular time, my mouth went dry. Um, this one particular time, um, we were called into an emergency delivery. The lady was 27 weeks, a full term is 40 weeks. And they thought she was having a placenta abruption where the placenta pulls away from the uterus. And it, but it wasn't that. It was a very small placenta, and the baby looked like she was 23, 24 weeks. I mean, head the size of a plum, feet the length of a knuckle. So it was highly critical. One of my students went with the baby to the NICU. I happened to be in the C-section with another student. And um, so we were there. Well, the dad was severely agitated and just in a terrible state. And the nurse said, maybe he could go with you guys. And so... We took him out of the C-section room, and he paced and hand to his head, and he was so anxious, and he just laid down on the floor and put his feet on a chair and just was explaining how worried he was. They had lost a child. 
they had another son. And I said to him, the student, you know, was wide-eyed and didn't know what to do. And I said, are you the praying sort of person? And he said, yes. And I said, I wonder if prayer now would help. And so we prayed and prayed, you know, over him, over the family, over the baby. And he gained his composure in time to go with the mom while she was wheeled out. Well, then we go to the NICU, and there are 15 people working with this baby, this, you know, two-pound baby. And um, my student was right there in the thick of it, helping as she could, and the nurse had said, you know, NICU code pinks don't go well. And this baby had an umbilical IV line and chest tubes and respirator and all sorts of things, all the while going dark and darker skin. And her oxygen and saturations that should have been up at 100 um, were in the 40s and 30s. And so they removed all of the tubes except for the umbilical line, wrapped her in warm blankets and took her while she was still alive to meet the parents. They sent us to go get the dad. And so anyway, at that point we had post-conference and let me tell you, since so many of my students were involved in this, it was just so desperately sad that this baby, you know, was dying in her parents' arms. And we left a glum group that week. But the next week, that was not the end of the story. The next week, the head nurse of the NICU hunted me down and said, you and the student come. That baby lived. That baby lived. And I was talking with the nurses. We were seeing this pinked up little thing. And, and I said, you know, did, did the baby change from fetal circulation, um, you know, to normal circulation and the warm blankets and the prayers of the parents and... You know, and we were talking about that, and the student pipes up and says, I don't care what you say. That was a miracle. And indeed it was. And that student ended up being a labor and delivery nurse. And uh, anyway, it was just to God be the glory for the things he does. <laughs> oh, can't compare. <laughs> that was really good. Then. 
Um, well, I too am an ORU grad, and I wish we had sung that song when I was there because that was a good song, Lynn. <laughs> um, so I'll just start out. Uh, I've been a nurse for 26 and a half years. Um, I too went to ORU, felt like God called me to be a nurse. Sorry, I cry all the time. So um, when I was 16 at a um, church camp, nobody medical in my family didn't know what nursing was or meant, um, but just felt like God called me to do that and then proceeded to put it out of my head because I pretty much just lived for what was going on right in front of me when I was 16. Um, so had no thought of what nursing school I would go to or what that meant. Uh, happened to be in Tulsa shopping with my mom and sister who was ready to go to college and, and didn't know where to go and saw ORU College Weekend signs everywhere. Um, my mom forced me to stay so that my sister would stay for the college weekend. She ended up getting in the car and leaving me here by myself. Um, but through that adventure, I found the um, ORU Nursing School. Loved it. Didn't realize what a great school it was at the time. Um, it was a very good school. Um, sorry, now I'm sidetracked. Uh, and I, I can see throughout my life how God used that call to be a nurse, even though I did not know what it meant and had no reference, no one in my family, no one in my life to, to ask, you know, what does this mean until I actually got to ORU and started everything. Um, I can see how God has used that vocation. And I, I love that TCF does see that. Um, anything we put our hands to, anything that God has called us to, digging ditches, being a nurse um, can be uh, a calling, and he just um, can bless your life in unimaginable ways um, through. Uh, fast forward, did a lot of nursing, kind of like um, Lynn, not like Lynn in any way as far as like the, the, um, the experience side of it, but um, worked in med surge, worked in surgery. That's the great thing about nursing. You cannot get bored um, because there are so many different directions you can go in. Um, but um, went on a Kenya missions trip with uh, TCF and a little lighthouse and came to find out that I really, really love kids. Um, didn't think I did. I remember going through the little lighthouse clinical as an ORU student, and that was before we got to go in the classrooms, and we would just observe through the window, and I remember thinking, gosh, when is this over? <laughs> you know, um, I don't I don't like kids, <laughs> and I don't want to be here. Um, yeah, I really did think that, Linda. Every, every nursing student who comes through the Little Lighthouse now, of course, has to say, oh my gosh, we love it. This is the best place on earth, and oh, I wish I could work here, and I was the one nurse who was saying, <laughs> not for me. So God knew when the timing would be right to, to take me back there. So um loved the last 12 years uh, getting to see God work in a place like that and um, see God call all different kinds of vocations uh, together to glorify his name um, throughout the world. And... Uh, I also started working in home health recently, so one of the reasons I'm not here every Sunday, not always the case, but um, which is vastly different than the little lighthouse. Um, I work with adults. Um, 
I work probably with a lot of Margot's patients who are sent home from the hospital um, after congestive heart failure has uh, hospitalized them again and um, been very uh, eye-opening and a very different way in which God has been um, using me to, to see his glory in some really unglorious places, um, some really dark needs and some desperate situations, but he's there, he's working, um, and I'm just so grateful that nursing has allowed me to be used like that um, through him. And I don't know what I wrote in my notes because I don't think I said anything <laughs> from my notes, but... um. So I will just say, uh, yeah, really grateful um, for the last two years experience, even with the, the COVID stuff, you know, um, like I said, not able to get bored even after 12 years at the little lighthouse, that COVID thing really threw a nice little, not nice. Okay. <laughs> I didn't mean that through an interesting kind of um, twist in there. So being a school nurse um, at the little lighthouse during COVID uh, has really caused me to grow a lot and um, to learn a lot, uh, to continue to know that I need to learn a lot, want to learn a lot, um, and just to say God is, God is good and he is glorified and all you have to do is look around and see um, his glory is there and it's made really evident through people like Lynn and through people like Margo um, and I'm so grateful that I've come to be a nurse and I'm so grateful that that TCF sees that um, it's worth celebrating. So thank you. Thank you. I didn't need my water. <laughs> it's really true if you spend more than 10, 15 minutes having a conversation with Chris, she's going to cry sometime. <laughs> But that's one of the most endearing things about her. So anyway, hadn't this been good? Hadn't it been good to hear these stories and to hear uh, how the Lord you can use anybody doing anything? And it's a very significant thing as we celebrate our nurses here this morning and remember the healthcare workers. And again, it's very timely, isn't it? Because of the things that are going on in, in the world these days. So, so thank you, Margo. Margo's gone. She's gone to work, I think. And thank you, Lynn. And thank you. Chris, even through your tears. <laughs> Let's stand together, remind you of the Sunday night activities, Bible Bowl tonight and uh, the uh, Sunday night seminar, and also put on your calendar all the missions conference things which start next Sunday. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reality of vocations that you call each individual to. And Lord, that nothing is just a job if we do it as unto you. And we can be used by your Holy Spirit to accomplish what you desire in the lives of many people. And Father, you also use these things to shape us as we do the work that you give us to do. So we're thankful for that, Father. And we thank you for each of our nurses here. We thank you for uh, their work. We thank you for their experience. We thank you for the way you've used this to touch lives. And we're grateful for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're dismissed.